And so they're drawn in. There's no greater image than to look at the Gospels. It's from God. And so let's look at this. A few images from the Synoptic Gospels. We'll begin with Matthew 15, uh, 21 through 28, the great faith of a Gentile woman. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Question, do we have great faith? Do you and I have great faith or is our faith little? Well, let's see. Let's look at what some of the disciples thought. How about Mark 4, 35? Mark 4, 35. More on the image. Just let Jesus give you the image. And so we have a Canaanite woman coming to the Lord and he calls her having great faith. And Mark 4, 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go cross to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, he being Jesus, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And if you keep flipping over into the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 18. That is where I ended uh, about three weeks ago in the series on the parables, Luke 18, verse 8. Jesus said this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, referring to himself, will he find faith on earth? The Son of the Man is Jesus. The earth is the planet on which we live. Jesus is coming back to that pl- this planet. The question is, he will be looking for a people of faith. And so he called the Canaanite woman as a lady of great faith. He even rebuked his own disciples, those who were with him and walked with him and saw him do great works. said, do you still not have any faith? And then in Luke, it says, will he find faith? So faith must be important. Amen? Faith must be important. Isaiah, Isaiah 
says this, if you are not firm in faith, there it is. Different verse. Just listen to me. Don't walk up. If you're not firm in faith, you are not firm at all. Romans 4.16 says this, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For who would, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So you, you are told to give them an image and there's no better image in the Bible and the need is faith is important and we've got to understand what is faith. George Michael sang about it. Those of us who were born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s, right? You got to have faith, right? So if George sings about it, it's got to be true. George was off. What is, what is faith? Faith, if you go back to the Hebrews 11 quote, says, it's, it's impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. We must believe that he exists. There is a God and I am not him and that he's in it for our benefit, that he rewards those who seek him. And in that verse, if you look at it, it's without faith, it's impossible to please him. They must believe faith equals belief. Those are two are used interchangeably in the book of John, and you'll see them here in a few minutes. Everybody believes in something. Everybody believes in something. All of our decisions in life are based upon our beliefs. Every single decision you make, every single decision you make is based upon your belief in something. Your behavior is in direct proportion to your faith. What you eat, what you watch on TV, what you read, what you do with your free time, whether or not you exercise, how you handle conflict, adversity, success, it's all connected in how you believe. And most people don't believe in what is ultimately true, the triune God, that he exists. And most people don't believe that it will bring, that trusting in him and walking by his ways will bring them ultimate happiness, that he rewards those who seek it. Listen to this quote. No one knows your hearts better than your father. And this is the prayer. And search our hearts that God has saved us not to shame us, delivered us not to demean us, freed us not to frown upon us, and changes us not to chide us. This guy goes on and prays, You know, God, my past, my future, my fears, my longings, my struggles, and my standing in grace. What a glorious and gracious God you are. Most people don't believe that. Most people have an odd view of God. And so the image is the one of a lady with great faith, disciples who were questioned if they had any faith, and then Jesus himself saying, will he find faith? The need is faith is important. And so the subject is what is faith? We want to talk about that today. And we're going to look at a various text, and then we're going to camp. If you want to turn there to John chapter 4, and we're going to go through a little story of a man who progresses in faith. But before we get there, let's look at Hebrews 11.1. Hebrews 11.1, it should be up on the board there or up on the screen. What is faith? Well, let, let the Bible describe what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. It is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That word assurance and conviction means you're resting 
on something that's true. It is not vague. It is not grounded in imaginary, wishful thinking. It is true. And so faith is the belief or the assurance that what God has said will happen. He said that that Jesus was coming and he came. He said that Jesus would die on a cross and rise again, and he did. And he said that Jesus is coming back to take us home. Do we believe that? Because if we believe that, and we believe the promises, we will live accordingly. It is the reality for that which is hoped for. Faith is the assurance. You can be assured of it, of things hoped for. And this is not a hope like, man, I hope it rains in Texas sometime because they really need it, like it may or may not happen. This is the assurance of I am hoping, I am grounded that one day Jesus is coming back. So it's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction. It's the belief. Now, how do you get this faith? Do we just will it into existence? One day I just have faith. Do we just work hard to obtain it? No, Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And then the classic passage, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 4, by grace, you have been saved through faith. In the very next words, it says, and this is not of your own doing. And this, that is a neuter pronoun talking about this whole idea of salvation by grace through faith. It is not just the grace and it's not just the faith. It's the entire concept. And so as one commentary says, the use of this pronoun takes into hold this complex idea. And it's often used in the Greek. And here it makes clear that faith, no less than grace, is a gift of God. So how do we get this faith? By grace. It's God's gift. Salvation, therefore, in every respect, the grace that God gives and the faith that you and I have is by grace and not of our own works. And so we carry on and we see we walk by faith, not by sight. That we will never, ever change God's sovereign will. He declared the beginning from the end and all things in between and will never change it. And his secret will, we'll never know it. We walk by faith, not by sight. But he's given us things in the scriptures, his scriptural will, and we can know that and be changed by it. We live by faith in what we cannot see. The righteous shall live by faith, first presented to us in Habakkuk, then Romans and Galatians and Hebrews. Repeated three times in the New Testament so that we don't miss it. We live by faith. And we could say that we are saved by faith. We stand in faith and are sanctified in faith. And this is the same faith for all believers. It's the same for me. Is it the same for all of you? It is not different. Everybody is saved by faith. Everybody stands in faith. Everybody is sanctified or made holy by faith. Now we should... Ask for our faith to increase. That's what the disciples did in Luke 17. Jesus was talking to them about something and they said, Lord, increase our faith. They prayed to God in the flesh right there. Increase our faith. And 1 Timothy 6.12 says we should fight the good fight of faith. That is, we resist the devil firm in our faith and that we contend for the faith. That our faith is both defensive and offensive. It's a good concept with the preseason, right? 
And we are protected by faith, Ephesians 16, the shield of faith. And we are perfected by faith. We sang about it. Jesus is not only the author of our faith, but he is the perfecter. The author in that instance is that he is the one who originated and leads. He doesn't lead from the back. He leads from the front and he perfects it. That what he's doing, you can watch him the whole time. That's why we're called to follow Jesus. He's out in front and we see and we follow him because he's going to perfect it. And then the final verse I want you to look at is Romans uh, 4, 19 and 20. And I chose this version because it brings out the idea of faith and belief, weakness and strength. Without becoming weak in faith, he, Abraham, contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He was thinking, "How God made a promise. It's not going to come through my servant. It's going to come through my wife. And he's thinking about this. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. Did you see that phrase? He grew strong in faith. It's a process. And we're going to spend the entire fall from September 18th through Christmas looking at the life of Abraham and how strong faith and weak faith plays out in our life. And being fully assured that what God had promised, there's that the assurance of things hoped for, that he, God, was also able to perform it. And so what is this process of he, he grew strong in faith? Abraham had to grow strong in faith. Moses returned home after his faith was increased. Jacob's faith or Joseph's test with faith was tested. Ruth lived by faith. The faith of the kings was up and down, kind of like the stock market. Peter wavered for a while in faith. Nicodemus was a secret believer. And Thomas needed physical evidence. But most of us are not like Paul. Our faith doesn't go from zero to 60 overnight. We get knocked off the horse, scales fall off our eyes, and we go start writing letters of Scripture, right? That's not how it happens. Well, how does it happen? Look at John 4. This is the process of faith. And I want us to find out where we are on this continuum. So he came again to Canaan, Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. He asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, key word of the passage, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judah to Galilee. And so what we're going to see today, if you're taking notes there on increasing faith, we're going to see seven things about faith, this continuum of faith. Not all of us immediately woke up one day and said, this is God's true word. 
I woke up this morning and saw the mountains and I believe there must be a creator and it must be the Lord God Almighty as presented in the scriptures. Ergo, therefore, I'm going to go and read them and learn them and share them. So much so that I'm going to read them and thus give my life over to Jesus and see that I am a sinner in need of a savior. Is that how it happened for you? That's not, I didn't just wake up one morning. That's not how it happened for me. That's not how it happens for most of us. For most of us, it begins with an absence of faith. And so you see in verse 46, so the man, so he came again to Canaan and Galilee where he had turned water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And we know from the passage that we read, there's an absence of faith. This is a wealthy, powerful, self-made person in need of nothing. And then life happens. If you want to go back to the text so people can follow along, then life happens. The official whose son was ill. Yeah, let's just look at the text. The official whose son was ill. He's probably discouraged. Here's, I've got everything working for me. And all of a sudden, my son is sick, out of the blue. Similar, not not even close to this. Um, Our son got sick several times on this trip. Out of the blue, he's just sick. He wakes up and he has this look on his face. Normally, Luke is happy-go-lucky. It's 5.30. He's up and at him. And from 5.30 until 7.30 or 8 that night, he's got two speeds you know, sprint or sleep, right? And he wakes up and he's just kind of sitting on the stairs, just looking around. Next thing you know, just out of the out of the blue, he's ill. But this person's son is almost going to die. That's what life does. It happens. And so you have a man who has absolutely no faith. He is now desperate. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. He probably remembered, this is the same guy that turned water to wine. I bet you he can heal my son. For his son was at the point of death. He was not just throwing up, but he was getting ready to die. We have one of Ashley's family members just got moved into hospice. She had just gone on her last trip to, to, uh, um, the beaches of Galveston with her girlfriends comes back to be with her family. They move her into hospice. She's going to die. That's where we're at in this story. He's going to die and he's desperate. This royal official, this wealthy, powerful, self-made person needs something. And he says in 47, He went to Jesus to see if he would heal his son. He wasn't wanting Jesus for moral issues. He wasn't interested in the person of Jesus himself, just his power. He wanted to use God for his gifts. Life will do that to you. We're going to live life on our own, but when trouble happens, all of a sudden we need God. When 9-11 happens, if you were to watch church attendance in 2000, or excuse me, in 2001, right around September... Church attendance, if you were to put all the churches on a map, if I were creative, I already would have done this, artistically speaking. All the attendance in the churches right, is right here. September 11th and the Sunday after, we need God now. We don't need God if there's no trouble. But when terrorists attack our 
country, all of a sudden we need God. And it sticks up there for longer this time because it hit home. It was on our own shores. And then if you were to look at attendance now, it's right back down, maybe even less. But we needed God then. Because when our health is in trouble, we need God. When our marriages need trouble, we need God. When our children do the unexpected, we need God. When the business, when things aren't going just as well as they could go, we need God. When the economy looks bleak, we need God. And when the government can't seem to work it out, we need God. And when our relationships are strained or when we just fail, we need God. That's how he's coming. Absence of faith but he's desperate and discouraged. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, going back to turning water into wine, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So we have an absence of faith and then his faith is confronted. Faith is not a magic trick is what he's saying. This man wanted a miracle, but they didn't want the man behind the miracle. And I'm afraid that is what a lot of people want in America, maybe even in the Christian church today. Everybody wants something epic and radical and crazy. Whatever happened to Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Whatever ha- why aren't there any books written on the tough call of Jeremiah? Or why isn't there one on that First Thessalonians verse? The, it, the title of it could be The Ambitious Quiet Life, How to Work with Your Hands. It's because they don't sell. <laughs> you know, you could turn to that. That's, that's it. When it talks about ambition in the scriptures, that, that's what it says. It's okay to be ambitious. If I'm somewhere in there. There it is. It's okay to be ambitious. Make it your ambition to aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs and to work with your hands so that you may walk properly before those who are outside to be a witness to the unbelievers. I'm going to write a book called that. Just live a quiet life or live a simple life. It's not going to sell. I'll sell it to you. (laughs) You'll buy it, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. It's not going to sell. It's not radical enough. So this guy who comes to Jesus, not for his person, but for his power, gets confronted in his faith. He has an absence of faith. He gets confronted in his faith. And now he's demanding. The official said to him, he's polite in it, but he's demanding, Sir, come down before my child dies. And as we noticed with Jesus and the Canaanite woman, he doesn't automatically just go, you know what? You came, I'm going to feed you. He made her wrestle with the fact that he came to Jews first and then to the Gentiles and he kept going, but she persisted. He comes back and he says, come down before he dies. And here's what Jesus says. Here, the royal official gives Jesus a command, come down. Look at the next verse. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go. You're not going to use me. You're going to trust me. You're not going to command me. You're going to submit to me. And so this guy goes from an absence of faith to a confronted faith to a submissive faith. Because the man didn't argue with Jesus. He didn't go, well, okay, I'm the, I'm the, I don't think you know who you're, talking to here. 
part of Herod the Tetrarch's clan. You know, I'm kind of the royal official. I mean, did you not did you not see the badge when I walked into the room? That's not what he did. <laughs> the man believed. Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. No miracle. Nothing yet. He just goes. The royal official is humbled and follows the true royal official. And as he was going down from Cana, see if I get this right, just from your Cana, Galilee, Cana, Capernaum. It's about 20, 25 miles. Right here, he's going, he's going back. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him his son was recovering. So he goes from this submissive faith to a confirmed faith. No faith, confronted faith, submissive faith, it's confirmed faith. His son was, but he was just ill to the point of death. And all Jesus said, said, your son will live. This was a long distance, 20, 25 mile miracle. No touching of the eyes, no talking, just Jesus performing a miracle. Out of the blue. I wonder what was going on at the house. So you've got the royal official and Jesus here. Son near death over there. Jesus, he says, come, sir. Jesus says, go. wonder what's going on over here because they're not in contact. So over here, son's almost the point of death. Ooh, I feel better. Man, I was, was I near death? Because I feel a lot better. Is there some toast or Rice Krispies? That's what we give our son when he feels wants to feel better. Ooh, milk. And everybody's around going, he was near, now he's recovered. What, what happened? So there's wonder over here. There's trust over here. And as he was going down, his servant said his son was recovering. Absence of faith, confronted faith, submissive faith, confirmed faith. Now watch this, 52. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday, yesterday. The seventh hour at that time is around 1 p.m. This man at 1 p.m. got the word from Jesus, your son will live. He didn't argue with him, he just trusted him. And he starts walking. He goes to sleep. It was yesterday. He goes to sleep. If Jesus is who he says he is, I have no panic. If Jesus is not who he said he is, I have no hope. He goes to bed. He walked. He waited. He went to sleep. Absence of faith, confronted faith, submissive faith, confirmed faith. But really, chronologically, there was a resting faith. He hadn't heard about it. He went to bed on Jesus's word, not seeing a miracle on his word. Did you catch that? Unless you guys see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Not this man. He believed his word and he went to bed and then he gets up. And as he's walking down, they said yesterday. And then 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. 
and he believed in all his household. And so he goes from absence of faith to a confronted faith. You're going to trust my word, not anything else. Those other things are done to confirm my word. If they happen, that is phenomenal, but trust my word. And then there's a submissive faith and chronologically there's a resting faith and then it's confirmed and look in 53, everybody else in the household's going, he's up and at him now, what's going on? And how did they know? How did the household believe? It's because the father says, you've got to catch this. While you're here and little Johnny is now eating oatmeal and toast, I was there and Jesus told me he would live. Jesus? Yeah, the same guy that turned the water into wine. Really? And if, if that's what he says, we're going to believe in him. What? So this is where we're at. And the whole household believes in the word of Jesus communicated through God, not God the Father, communicated through the royal official. What the family had experienced, the father explains to them. And then John comments on it. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come down from Galilee. It's important that he wrote that down because that's for you and I. There's an absence of faith. There's a confronted faith. There's a submissive faith, a resting faith, a confirmed faith, a shared faith. He shared it with his family. He didn't just keep it to himself. He shared it with his family. And John records it. There's a recorded faith. Ours is written down so that you can be good Bereans and say, I want to go read this story again. I've got the same Bible he's got. I can go read it. Ours is written down so that we can discover it for ourselves and share it with those around us. Ours is written down so there is nobody who can argue it's the same faith. That Bible you're reading is the same Bible I'm reading. Different translations, obviously, but it communicates the exact same thing. And so we can go to something outside of ourselves and believe the truth. And Jude says we are to contend for that. Contend for the faith that was once handed down to all the saints. Not just some of the saints, not just those on the inner circle who go to seminary, but to all the saints. And so the question is, where are you and I on this continuum? And let's just give it an honest assessment. Kids, when they're hurt, they tell you, Luke, you okay? What do we do as adults? We get older, what do we do? You okay, Jason? I'll be okay. Yeah, but your legs have fallen up. Don't worry about me. I'll be all right, right? There's this fear of self-examination. As we get older, we don't want to sit there and examine our own selves. Kids, they hey, I'm hurt. I am hurt. I'm telling you about it. I'm hurt. What do we do? I'll be all right. Right? I have a friend in Texas who, who knows that his, he doesn't know what his cholesterol is. And the way that he gets away with it, he's like, I don't have to worry about my cholesterol. I just don't go see the doctor. Oh, that's smart. As we sit and eat Dickie's barbecue, right? Right. No, examine yourself, dude. Go to the doctor because he may say you're in the 250s and So where are you on this continuum? Or we keep hitting the snooze alarm. There's an alarm that goes off and we go, no, I just want to sleep in a little bit on this. 
Is there an absence of faith? Do we live discouraged and desperate lives? And I'm not saying an absence of salvific faith, but an absence of faith like the disciples. Have you still no faith? You who have committed your whole life. I said to you, don't go fishing anymore. Let's fish for men. And you left everything and followed me. You were trusting me there. Why aren't you trusting me now? Is there an absence of faith in your lives? Are you discouraged or desperate? Does your faith need to be confronted? Are you being demanding? Is it submissive? Are we humble and following the ultimate royal official? Is it confirmed? Are we now joyful in what's been experienced? Are we resting? Is our faith growing deep, though not out? That is, like Psalm 1, you shall be like a, a tree by streams of water, which yields its fruit, key phrase, in its season. Meaning, things are going on in that tree, even though no fruit is being bore. I mean, the, the idea is the tree is going, the branch is going out, but no fruit's coming from it. Are we resting and trusting in God? And it's going deep, even though it's not going out. That's one side of it. Next, and this may be where we're at, are we sharing our faith? It's gone deep, it's gone out, but we're not taking it off the tree and handing it to other people. Are we active in going out with what's gone deep? And finally, do you understand and do you see the beauties and the majesty of this recorded faith? Could you and I contend for what has been written? Could we, like Jude, who said, Beloved, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but I felt it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. I'd love to sit here and talk to you about the things we share in common and we can do these things, but I want to appeal to you to contend for the faith. The times we live in now, and he spends the rest of those that book, just one chapter, talking about the evils and wiles and deceptions of the world. People have crept in unnoticed. Could we contend for what is written? All of us are on this continuum. Where are we? How are we doing? Father, we thank you that you don't expect us to go from zero to 60. There are some, Lord, we see it about Paul in the scriptures, and there are some people, maybe even in here, who have had unusual experiences of going from absence of faith to contending and we praise you for them. We praise you for that belief, that that gift that you've given them. But most of us, Lord, are somewhere on here. And we need your grace. It's a gift from you. And so we're crying out to you now, wherever we are, pray that you would meet us right there at that point on the line and move us to where we can contend for the faith. And Lord, if we've done that before and slip back to being discouraged and demanding and, and disbelieving and desperate, build our faith up. Surround us with people who will encourage us. Surround us with those who will encourage us in the things that matter of life and help us encourage those around us in their faith so that we might build them up. Father, we love you. It is a 
absolutely amazing to me that I can call you Father. That everything that's happening in my life from sick children to hot summer days to just life in general. Lord, you've you've orchestrated it for my benefit and for your glory. And so good people of Eagle Bible, I want to read you this prayer and then we'll end. Dear Father, this is one of those days when I could create a long prayer list and methodically go through it, but I'm not sure I'd be really praying. I could go through the motions, but to be quite honest, it'd be more ritual than reality, more about me than the people and situations I'd bring before you. I'm feeling distracted this morning and scattered and not very focused at all. It is one of those days I am glad the gospel is much more about your grasp of me than my grip on you. It is one of those days I am grateful your delight in me is not contingent upon my delight in you. It's one of those days I'm very thankful for the prayer ministry of the Holy Spirit. Gracious Father, I have no problem or reluctance in acknowledging my weakness this morning. In fact, it is freeing to know your spirit doesn't abandon us when we are weak, but helps us in our weakness. Just as Jesus Jesus constantly prays for us, the Holy Spirit faithfully prays in us through wordless groans. Though I don't understand everything that means, I do get the part about you searching our hearts and knowing the mind of the spirit. And that brings me incredible comfort today. No one knows our hearts better than you, Father. You search our hearts to save us, not shame us, to deliver us, not demean us, to free us, not frown upon us, to change us, not chide us. You know my past and future, my fears, my longings, my struggles with sin, my standing in grace. What a glorious and gracious God you are. And at that very moment, your spirit is praying inside me, perfectly tuned into my needs and into total harmony with your will. I cannot measure the peace that that brings. I surrender right now, Father. I gladly groan to your glory. I collapse on Jesus in this very moment. I will not waste away energy today in the paralysis of analysis, vain regrets, pretending or posing. I know you're at work for my good in all things, including my unrest and uncertainty. Father, all I have to do is look at Jesus and know these things are true. For he is the author and perfecter of my faith. It is because of that, it's because of what Jesus has done, not what I do, that you love me. You have called me to life in him and you will complete your purpose in me. I do love you. I would love you so much more. So very amen, I pray, in Jesus' merciful and mighty name. And Father, I do thank you for Scotty Smith and his recorded prayer there. It's in your son's great name we pray. Amen.